This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, one of our favorite hockey tournaments goes by many names. The Juniors, the World Junior Hockey Championships, or the U-20. Call it whatever you want. Uh, It's highly watched. Uh, These players become superstars. Um, Some go home happy. Some go home miserable. Uh, But it's always an eventful tournament. This year's uh, edition of the World Junior Hockey Championships should be no different. Please be joined by the head coach of Team Canada. Uh, He's also the head coach of the Sarnia Sting of the OHL. He is Alan Letang, and he joins me now. Alan, thanks so much for stopping by. No problem. I appreciate it. Uh, I, yes. So where, where to begin here with Team Canada? Um, l- let's begin by talking about you before we get into the, the Macklin Celebrinis and the Matt Poitras and the Owen Becks, um, etc. I'm, I'm curious, you know, you're behind the bench with the Sarnius thing. In the back of your mind, you're probably thinking, okay, Christmas time, I'm, you know, over to Sweden for this tournament. A- at what point... Do, do you allow yourself to start thinking about your Hockey Canada obligation uh, and maybe you know, the Sarnia's thing takes a, a little bit of a backseat? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not easy when, uh, you know, when the announcement came out or you get the phone call from, from Scott Salmon. To, it, it's pretty hard to not think about it a little bit. But uh, we've got, we had a lot of real good people doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work with scouting players and uh, and looking after the roster and getting the lists list together, we probably had um, probably a meeting every week just to kind of go through an updated list how players were playing. You get emails on on kind of their analytics and their stats, and um, you know for that brief moment you're starting to juggle a few line combinations because there's some kids that you know right through the OHL. There's some kids that I had at the U17 um, at the Holenka in in Red Deer. So you start yeah. to you know so you start to think about that stuff and it, it's it's not easy. I'm luckily luckily enough in Sarnia, I've got two real good assistant coaches and in Mike Haley and, and Dustin Jeffries who were you know were able to kind of take some of the load off if I had a meeting during a practice or you know if I just skip out. But uh, it's it's interesting and I mean all the other coaches too they're juggling uh, their teams. I know Cluey's uh, got a GM job and the coaching job, so he's he's got double duty sometimes. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's interesting. It's been a good part of this morning uh, calling people that uh, are either in your orbit now uh, or have been in your orbit in the past. And I essentially said, what, what can you tell me about Alan? And the one consistent thing was this guy is focused and this guy is determined and this guy always has a plan and contingency plans as well. Um, when you first got the nod to coach this team, what was your plan for Team Canada, and how did it change and evolve as you know you went through through tryouts, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I learned uh, I learned quite a bit from 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 the two I did before when when I you know I was the eye in the sky for for Mark and Dale when yep. when we went over in 2019 in Ostrava. You know, lucky enough to work with uh, you know Andre Tourney and 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 Mitch Love who. You know, who early in my career taught me quite a bit, and then then I got an opportunity last year with with Dennis Williams and and Steph and and Kiss, and you take a little bit of everything that they do, and you kind of learn, and then you kind of put your own spin on it, or you mold your own your own spin to it. But I think the biggest difference and our biggest challenge as a staff was coming back over here and getting on the big ice, and how are we going to prepare? ourselves how are we going to prepare our group and um you start looking at the players names and what kind of team were we going to have and you know last year we were a big we were a heavy team that you know could grind down low and and protect pucks and it was get to the net and, and be physical and trying to intimidate and impose our will and then we start going through the names and you have you know you have a, a jaeger you have you know, a Jordan Dumay and a, and a Savoy and, and an Easton Cowan. And we're like, okay, we're not going to be that same team. So some of that stuff we have to toss out and, you know, how are we going to utilize what, what we're bringing? And it, it's going to be pace and it's going to be speed and it's going to be pace through puck mm-hmm. movement. And we might not be this team that goes out and runs around. And so now I've, you've got to adjust, you know, how are we going to play on the fourth check? What are we going to do in the neutral zone? You know, we don't want to be passive. We want to be aggressive. Um, our D are, are very mobile, so we've got to get them moving pucks quick, and and that puck movement is going to push our forwards to work harder and, and 
push our forwards to play with more pace. So, you know, we start building a game plan instead of taking my, you know, my tech pack from Sarnia and moving it to Hockey Canada. I've got to kind of pull pieces of, of a few other um, coaches and people that I've worked with, right? I know I know the men's world team went over and they played on the big ice in Latvia. And so we pull a little bit of yep. that to kind of see, okay, and, and what can we teach in, in 10 days? Like I don't, you don't... Uh, you don't overhaul a whole lot yeah. of a whole lot of things when you only have ten days together as a group, right? There, these guys' habits are going to be their habits because they've had them for the last two years. And how can we just get them dialed in enough for you know for this short term tournament? You know, for this uh, for this tournament, and I'm speaking with Alan Latang, head coach of the Team Canada World Juniors. For this tournament, this is uh, for a lot of hockey fans their first chance to watch a lot of these prospects. And you know, last. You know, last year was a coming out party for uh, Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli, and we can still remember the uh, the dueling Michigan attempts in that first game last year uh, by yeah. both of them, almost <laughs> as if they had a, 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 a bet with each other who could do it first. Yeah. Um, but uh, what do we? What do you think, Alan? We're going to learn about Macklin Celebrini, who seems to be you know consensus first overall pick in the 2024 draft. Yeah, I think you're going to learn that he has a high motor. Um, you know, it, it's been a joy watching him in practice. Um, he, he's a very focused kid, knows exactly what he wants to do on the ice, asks very intelligent questions, and, you know, during the game, is engaged in the game. He'll come off and be like, hey, they've changed a little bit of thing here on their on their forecheck. And you're like, yeah, you know what, I did see that. Let's let's try and make this adjustment. Just a, He's a student of the game. Um, you know, I watch him in practice and he's he's stick handling a puck in the line while the drills are going on and he's looking around and, and, and doing all these little things. So he's he's a focused kid mm-hmm. that's always smiling and brings a lot of energy to the rink. Um, but he's also very mature for, for a young kid that's dealing with, you know, everything they're dealing with. And I think that gets... That gets lost a little bit. We don't realize how much pressure these young men are under when they, you know, they get to this tournament. And as soon as the 26 hit, the whole mm-hmm. the whole nation flips on a TV and, and they hang on every moment that they that they do good or bad, right? Yeah. And I think I think that's one of the hardest things to prepare these kids for. That you know we're over here and we're going through this process, but it's hard to tell them that hey, come the 26, a massive switch gets flipped, and we got to be going and we've got to be dialed. And everybody's watching, right? You, Team Canada gets everybody's yeah, yeah. best performance too. And so there's no right. We take a foot off the gas, or or we let up for a second, and and, and someone's coming. And and you see with with all the other countries, they've they've done a great job working on their programs. They've they've built good programs too, and that's what makes the tournament so exciting and so competitive. Absolutely. Um, how much were you watching? You know, before the camp. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, how much were you watching the Boston Bruins and seeing if Poitra was getting scratched or was playing? Yeah, I think every day someone was on uh, on their phone going through the going through the analytics of you know how much did he play, how many shifts did he play, who did he play with. Um, luckily, you know we we had Scott Walker who had kind of the inside inside track on some things, and uh, I'm sure Scott Salmon had about four or five phone calls just kind of trying to fill us in and yeah. and we had some other names that were being tossed around too so you know you don't want to get too far ahead sure. of yourself you kind of have to deal with what you have but but you know what we're we're pretty lucky and, and and we're glad to have him he's come in with a great attitude the last two days he's kind of getting over his jet lag right now but um smart kid focused too like he came in and and right away fit in and, and when we made the announcement you could see you could see the smile on some of the guys faces too and then we showed the video of him and him and Swayman having the shootout, and then we all got a nice little chuckle about that. So it's it's worked out real well hmm. for us. Uh, at, at what point did you think you were getting him? Like, was there a, a moment, maybe in the last couple of weeks, where you said to yourself, maybe in a conversation with Scott Walker, "Hey, I, th- I think we have a real shot here at getting Poitra away from the Boston Bruins." Yeah, I, I think it went. I think it went up and down a little bit. I think early on we. You know, we we kind of thought we had a shot at a few of them, and then and then a few guys get crossed off, and then and then we're all sitting around, and you know we've got you know Brent Seabrook and Scott Walker and all these other guys that have played in the NHL, and we we've all you know seen guys that have gone there, and and when you're playing 15 plus shifts in the NHL, you're like, hey, he's settling in really well. It doesn't it doesn't look too promising, and then 
And then, you know, Scott yeah. Salmon sitting there going, well, guys, there's still a chance. We're going to keep we're going to keep the option open because, you know what, I think they understand mm-hmm. the importance of, of this tournament. I think I think it's great for him, you know, to come over and experience this, especially because he hasn't been in the Hockey Canada program, you know, for very much. He kind of got robbed with the COVID year, right, yep. of his Holenka opportunity you know obviously last year with with the group we had he wasn't a part of it so it's not like he was a Korchinski who had already been through it and won a gold medal this was going to be an opportunity and for for this kid to come in and, and produce at this level play under this kind of pressure and I think as an organization you'd like to see your um, your prospects play under you know that intensity and that scrutiny and and come over and really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the um, I know the the politically correct answer is uh, everybody prepares for us, and you've mentioned that like everybody comes out big for Team Canada. I get that, um, but when you look at the field right now, like listen, United States jumps off the page. That looks like a tremendous team. Sweden uh, once again looks like a tremendous team here. How do you like, how do you put Canada in a context? this year in the tournament playing in group a um how do you contextualize where you see team canada fitting and you have a couple of words on either the united states or sweden or anyone else that jumps off the page for you yeah i mean i think i think it um you know the fact that we're we're playing an exhibition game against against the u.s just speaks that we want to get into you know that intensity as early as possible and i I think our pool is is tough and, and 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 it's probably a good thing for us to challenge us early like our opening game against finland is gonna you know not, not yeah. an easy game by any means they, they play so structured and then and, and they're so patient with their game and you know those early games those early jitters that that teams have it, we're gonna have to be able to manage that and then you know it, it doesn't get any easier when you're playing the, the home country in their in their building um i'm sure the crowd is going to be crazy a lot of good hockey fans over here, and uh, you know, Latvia is no slouch either. They, they've got some good players. Again, play very structured, and then we're into Germany. Mm-hmm. So I like, I like the fact that we'll be challenged real early on. I think it's important for this group, who, you know, maybe we're a little bit younger with some eighteen-year-olds. We're, you know, maybe a little bit uh, immature in, in ways where we're not. We don't have that veteran to lean on, that guy besides Owen Beck to say, guys, this is what it was like. This is what we went through. I remember when we lost that game to the Czechs. You know, like those guys don't have that yeah. to fall back on. They're going to have to look at some of the staff. And, 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 and Brent Seabrook's been incredible talking about his his journey through you know the World Cup and, and through the NHL. And he talks about all those moments that you know make up your championship run per se like there's all those little things that matter all the little details i i think we're we're excited about our group i think we're excited because we're going to get challenged and then when you get into those the, the medal rounds or you get into the quarterfinal game which becomes the most important game of the tournament you're already a little bit hardened to how tough it is and your your hill is still, you're still going up the mountain when you're not even at the peak yet so i think i think for us it's it's staying real focused having that uh that short-term focus to get ready. And, you know, we've got an exhibition game tomorrow against the Swiss, which will be a real nice challenge after after kind of playing that uh, the yep. U, U20 team, U25 team, sorry, um, which was a good start for us. It kind of eased us in. But come tomorrow, you know, the intensity gets ramped up a little bit more, and then we have a back-to-back with, with the U.S., and that's there's your there's your prototypical Canada versus U.S., and it's oh, only yeah. an exhibition game, right? I see it being super intense. I see each team kind of feeling each other out, and you know what? By the end of that, by the end of that game, there'll be no surprises for if we, we meet right later in the tournament. So, I think it's good prep for us. I think there's a reason why, uh, you know, reason why we did this to challenge this group early and not and not wait to get into the tournament to get challenged. So, uh, I'm excited to see how we respond. But, but like I said, we're uh, we're not looking very far ahead right now. I, I believe it. Um, listen, uh, we're all looking forward to this. We look forward to it every year. Alan, thanks so much. Um, listen, good luck. I mean, we talk about pressure. I mean, it's not just the kids. It's it's the coaches, too. I, I'm sure you feel it at certain points, too. Best of luck, and uh, we'll catch up when the, when the tournament's over. Thank you very much. I always tell the kids to get out of their comfort zone, so I might as well do it, too, right? 
<laughs> Coaches still grow. Coaches still grow. Absolutely. Alan, thanks so much. Good luck this year yeah. with the uh, with the Team Canada World Juniors. You be well. Alan Latang is the uh, head coach of Team Canada at the upcoming World Junior Hockey Championships, which gets underway in Sweden. Uh, on Boxing Day, as always, Canada opens up against Finland also that day. And these are early start times, folks, here. So don't forget, uh, Canada's game against Finland, 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Uh, Czechia faces off against Slovakia, Norway, and the United States. And Latvia takes on Sweden. Canada playing in Group A with Finland, Latvia, Sweden, and Germany. Look forward to that. Uh, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Hey, Matt Marchese. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm good, man. I always love talking juniors. It's always I know fun. you do. It's, al- it's always fun, but at, the, at, but at the same time, too, I always try to catch myself and just remind myself that this is a development tournament. Mm-hmm. This is not the be-all and end-all of these players' careers. This is like the Holinka. This is like the UAT. Like, this is not... A, the be-all, end-all, we're judging what our program means based on the achievement of these under-20 athletes. This is a development tournament, and that's it. Yeah, tell that to the people that are watching, too. Uh, they should they should oh, be no, reminded I, of I that know. as well. Wrap it in a flag and pour maple syrup all over it, and this is all about our national identity. It's a developmental tournament. Go yeah. quick, who are you looking at? Uh, Leafs at Sabres, of course. Uh, the puck line is Maple Leafs minus one and a half. The total has gone over between these two teams yeah. in their last five games in Buffalo. Buffalo is four and one against the puck line in their last five games against Toronto at home. I'm really curious to see how many, like there's always a lot of Maple Leafs jerseys at the Key Bank naturally yeah. because it's a QEW series. But I wonder how many Buffalo Sabres fans have just said about this one after the embarrassment against Columbus. Screw it, I'm selling my tickets. And it's just a flood of Maple Leaf as opposed to Sword in the stands. And I wonder, like, I wonder what happens if the Maple Leafs score the first goal. Everyone leaves. Because we saw how the last game ended. Oh, man. (laughs) Or the chance. We'll see tonight. Uh, That's Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook bet local. Willie Donick, Preds, play-by-play voice in moments. We're talking Nashville. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A scant three games last night around the NHL. If you're watching Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey, you saw the Winnipeg Jets taking care of the Detroit Red Wings, who now have lost four games in a row. Stop with the Patrick Kane curse stuff, by the way, even though they've only won one game. Made a couple of nice plays last night again, though. Uh, we'll see what goes on there. There's a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries on that team right now, uh, to say nothing of one very large suspension. Uh, so that was one game. We also saw the Washington Capitals uh, take the Islanders to overtime and win. Dylan Strome with the uh, the heroics there. And then we saw the Seattle Kraken get outshot by the tune of 43-30. to 30. It was the Joey Decord show, folks. Uh, Tanev scores, Eberle scores, what turns out to be the game winner. And don't look now. And by the way, that's Eberle's first goal in 13 games. So Alex Ovechkin, Eberle knows what you're feeling. Um, by the way, now all of a sudden the Los Angeles Kings have lost four of their last six. I don't think you should be jumping off the bandwagon anytime soon about the Los Angeles Kings, but... The numbers are the numbers, and the stat is the stat. Uh, They've now lost four out of their past six games. We get 12 games tonight around the NHL, and if you want to be grumpy about something, here's something to be grumpy about, Grinch. Six of them all start at 7 (laughs) o'clock. So if you're thinking about maybe, hey, I'm watching the Leafs and Sabres, but I want to have a look at what's happening with the Golden Knights and the Tampa Bay Lightning, well, you're going to have to interrupt your Maple Leaf Buffalo Sabres watching, or if you're watching the Panthers and the Blues and you want to see some of the Carolina Hurricanes and the Pittsburgh Penguins, you're not going to be able to watch your entire game. Sampling tough on a night like this. Six, seven o'clock Eastern starts. Meanwhile, one of the seven Eastern starts, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers are hosting the Nashville Predators, and despite uh, the loss against the Vancouver Canucks earlier this week, this Nashville Predators team 
has been on a roll. Willie Donick knows that. He's the play-by-play voice of the Nashville Predators, and he joins me now. Willie, how are you today, pal? I am doing well, Jeff. Good to talk to you. Uh, it's good to talk to you as well. Um, uh, a couple of things here, real quick. I just want to get the the Tyson Berry stuff out of the way, and then we'll we'll focus in on on the Nashville Predators. But we understand the situation uh, with Tyson Berry and and Nashville. How has Berry been able to handle it? I think he has done a good job communicating with the coaching staff, and I think eventually, after the initial story got out. He's had some subsequent conversations with Barry Trotz, and I think they feel better about where it is now. But I think they know. I think Tyson Berry knows, Barry Trotz knows, Andrew Burnett knows that it's going to take a while Mm -hmm. uh, for things to shake out. They've got seven NHL defensemen and an eighth uh, in Spencer Stastny, who they really like uh, in the long term, who's a left shot. Yeah. Uh, As you know, they're a little crowded on the right side right now with some guys in the final year of their contract. So. They're trying to manage it. Uh, they're sort of rotating. Uh, they've had some nights where they're using seven defensemen. And so I, they, they may have to do this for a while. Uh, speaking of Nashville defensemen, um, one of my favorite plays this year, and I, listen, Willie, I don't know why I'm so fascinated with this other than it is so hard to do. One of my favorite plays this year, I want to say it was against Tampa, I think, and it's Ryan McDonough. With a backhanded one-time slap shot. I think it was against Tampa Bay. I'm not exactly sure. And we're used to seeing young... Was it against Tampa? Okay, so it's right in front of the net, and he's on his... He takes a bat... I I don't know why I'm so fascinated with this. Um, Your thoughts on that play. Your thoughts on Ryan McDonough. We talked so much about the young kids and what they're able to do with, with the puck and their edges and everything. And here's Ryan McDonough, which we mostly talk about, you know, vis-a-vis, you know, blocking shots and clearing the zone and clearing bodies with one of the coolest plays I think we've seen all year, Willie. Yeah, and, and Jeff, as you know, he's so respected, right, by all of his teammates. And he's not oh, yeah. a guy that's going to show up on the, on the score sheet a lot with goals like that. So when he made that play, the bench just absolutely exploded. Of course, it was against Tampa, <laughs> his former team, too. Yeah. So. They were really excited for him, and that that was something that popped out of nowhere. And he's a guy that will he'll sneak in there and get a couple of goals here and there, but he's much more known for his presence and what the, what effect he has on his teammates. And this is one of the things to to tie mm-hmm. it in with your first question that's made it uh, tricky is he's a left shot and he's played really well with Roman Yossi, who's a left shot. So it puts Roman Yossi on his offside, mm-hmm. and they really like the numbers when those guys are playing together, but that creates even more of a log jam with all the righties that we're talking about, Dante Fabro, Alex Carrier, Luke Shin, and Tyson Berry. So that's a little bit of the puzzle that, uh, that Andrew Burnett is trying to piece together. But they love McDonough and Yossi together as that top pair. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Luke Shen a second ago. Um, Elliot on 32 Thoughts last week or two weeks ago had a sit down with Luke Shen. And listen, uh, to me, when whenever he decides that yeah, he's done with the NHL career, if he wants a career in broadcasting, he's going to put us all out of work. And I think his brother probably will too. How's he fit in in Nashville so far? And you know, what do fans think of him? What do the local media think of Luke Shen? Yeah, he's, uh, I heard that interview. It's just, it's excellent. We've seen that same thing. From here, we're still just getting to know him because he got hurt in the very first game. And so he went out of the spotlight for several weeks while he healed up uh, that knee injury that he talked about in in pretty good detail uh, with Elliott. So I don't think on the ice we've seen the best of Luke Chin yet. And he will be the first to tell you it's it's a work in progress. It's a new system for him. Uh, They really try to move that puck up the ice fast. And I I don't think he's really – when you miss as much time as he did – He's still working to get back into the flow. But slowly but surely, you know, his size, his physicality, mm-hmm. his presence, uh, I, I think is something that they need. They need. The, I know that's what Barry Trotz saw in him, not only one of those serial winners that he likes to label uh, players as, but yeah. uh, in the playoffs, you need those big, sizable guys. And so the, the, the fans, you know, they haven't seen anything spectacular yet, so they're all wondering, you know, what's what, what does this guy do? But I think over time is when, you're going to start to see the best from Luke Shen. And, of course, he's got a three-year deal, so he's going to be around. Yeah. 
Um, I want to get to Philip Forsberg with you here in a couple of seconds. But before we get there, someone that I'm, and I think a lot of us are just sort of, you know, waiting for him to to turn the page and and take that next step in his progress and start to actualize as the player we think he can all be. I want to ask your thoughts on Yuso Parsonen, who I look at and I say to myself, uh, first of all, great size, great skill. Uh, wonderful hands. Uh, I, I just get the feeling that he's like, he's right there. He's real close. How close is he to taking that next step in his career where he becomes more of a household name around the Preds? Yeah, it, you know, I don't think he's hit a full groove this year. Uh, last year, before he yep. got injured, he was really starting to come around. And even when he came back, he, he, he made a nice, <laughs> excuse me, a nice little flash at the end. And I think everybody was mm-hmm. really excited. Uh, about where he was going. He and two other forwards with Luke Evangelista and um, Phil Tomasino are all, they're the three youngest players that they're carrying right now, all 21, 22 years old. And on a particular night, Mm -hmm. I think you notice that, you know, they could be one of the better players that's really helping them to win. And then there's some other nights where they struggle some and they've all rotated. They've all had turns where they've been healthy scratches for a game or two. The sort of, as Andrew Burnett says, hit the reset button. And so he's going through that period right now. He does a lot of good things on the ice, Parsonen does, because of his size. He can, he can really hold mm-hmm. off players along the boards. He can, he can win battles down there. Uh, but I, I do think there's another level uh, that I think he's going to get to over time. And the good thing is he's supported. Uh, there's not too much on his shoulders that he has to carry the team on a nightly basis. But... I think for this team to succeed, they need those three guys that I mentioned to also, over time, take a jump and be able to really pitch in uh, and contribute offensively. So last week, Nashville had the dreaded four-game week, and I always look at those and say, man, if you can keep your head above water and win three of the four, great on you. So Nashville goes out uh, and wins all four of them. Um, I'm watching these games, and like Forsberg always stands out. Yossi always stands out. Soros always stands out. But in that stretch, uh, were my eyes deceiving me, or were we seeing a steady diet of great work by Colton Sissons and Yakov Trenin? Or, or, is it, or is that just a mirage, Willie? No, that, that, I think you were dead on. Those two play together a lot in a lot of situations. The penalty kill, they're, they're a team. Uh, as a tandem, uh, they've done really well in that area. They've always done a lot of the dirty work, but uh, I think mm-hmm. you look at the, you look at this stretch. Let's start with Trennan. He had no, he had zero points. The Predators were five and ten, and they were playing the Blackhawks on a Saturday afternoon. And the Blackhawks, I think at the time, were five and nine. So they were even with the Blackhawks, and I think something like thirtieth in the standings. And Trennan had zero points, but this thirteen and four stretch. He's got seven goals. He's added some assists, and he's just really showing up all over the place, especially with the penalty kill. Uh, and then Colton Sissons, there's mm-hmm. probably an argument that he he has made the biggest impression of the guys that have been with the Predators for a long time. He seems to be a great fit for Andrew Burnett's system. He loves playing it, and Andrew Burnett, I think, has started to give him some power play time and put him in even more situations and it's showing up in, in his numbers. He's got a chance maybe to have a career year. Um, over the stretch, uh, is it too simple just to say, well, listen, when Sorrow stands on his head, he, he drags everybody along with him. Um, this, you know, Again, parking the Vancouver loss, where Vancouver was just on a different level uh, against Nashville earlier on this week. Um, when you focus on the stretch that Nashville is on right now, how have they been able to do this? Definitely, Soros has uh, has elevated his game, and he's ten and two in his last twelve starts. And in the two starts that he lost, he was pulled in the game. So everything that could have gone wrong went wrong yeah. in the two games. But I guess you take that overall because there's four or five steals in there uh, and games it, like like the first game against their opponent tonight, Philadelphia. He he elevated them in that game, a, a game that Philadelphia was doing their thing with odd man rushes and all that stuff. He he made some brilliant saves in that. So that's certainly the first reason. And I think the other thing is, uh, if you look at their underlying numbers, even when they were 5-10, and 10, they were probably playing a little bit better than that. But what Andrew Burnett says is mm-hmm. they've stayed with the system, but they're now sort of in that mode of finding ways to win. 
and uh, managing the game a little bit better. When, when they need to make the winning plays, they're, they're making them. They've got a better feel for that than they did maybe at the start of the year where they let some games get away, especially in regulation, that they probably should have gotten at least something out of. Um, speaking of Willie Donick, the play-by-play voice of the National Predators, Philip Forsberg, is this the quietest 16 goals and quietest 36 points we see right now in the NHL? That's a good question. I, I, I wonder how people around the league would see that because I think from our viewpoint, having watched Philip play uh, all these years since he was 19, 20 years old, when Barry Trotz was the coach, it's, it's come full circle, right? When they acquired him from the Capitals, yeah. Barry Trotz was down the stretch of his coaching tenure with, uh, with the Predators. I think this is the best all-around game that he's played. So he's making the spectacular plays. He's got three overtime game winners that have all been really fun to watch. But I, I think he's really taken to playing with Gus Nyquist and Ryan O'Reilly. And when they picked up those two free agents, I don't think I envisioned that that's who Forsberg would play with pretty much from day one. But it has worked very well. They have great chemistry. Uh, Andrew Burnett says, look, I, I just show them the film, and then I kind of let them coach themselves. They, they seem to enjoy playing with one mm-hmm. another. They get into the details of the game. And I think O'Reilly in particular has really rubbed off well on Philip Forsberg. Uh, Let me finish on this one, Willie. Uh, Tonight it's the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, they are one of the surprise teams in the NHL. Like, I'm not sure how to describe where Nashville is right now. Sometimes I look at it and I say, okay, so Nashville's going through a little bit of a rebuild, right? We're retooling or however you want to phrase it. And then, you know, this team goes on a 13 and four rep. Um, but the Philadelphia Flyers, I mean, they've, you know, they, they've declared like we are rebuilding. You know, Daniel Briere was on this program last week saying, look, I know we're doing well and we're winning games. But if I get the right price for a couple of players on expiring contracts at trade deadline, even if we're in a playoff spot, guess where I'm defaulting? And that is pay attention to the rebuild and the future so we can have consistent winning, not just a, a one off where we get into the playoffs. But John Tortorella has this team really humming and grooving and it makes it easier when you have a healthy Sean Couturier it makes it easier when you have uh, Sammy Erson playing the way that he is playing you know Carter Hart is out Cal Peterson is back and Sammy Erson is the number one guy period Travis Sanheim is having a real strong bounce back season uh, Owen Tippett has been fantastic uh, we're learning names like Bobby Brink is becoming more of a household name. What do you expect tonight against a Philadelphia Flyers team that, despite the fact that they're, they've declared that they're rebuilding, find themselves second in the Metropolitan Division? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question because the, these two teams played last week, and Andrew Burnett and Barry Trotz both have steadfastly refused to say the word rebuild. They, they don't characterize what they're doing as a rebuild, but they also... Yeah are looking at a two- or three-year plan to really build the roster back up to where you have the layers to, to as Barry Trotz says, win a championship. But in the meantime, they are trying they're trying to win, and you know Barry Trotz, as they get closer, if they stay in this race, is going to have some interesting decisions uh, with, is he going to, I don't think they're going to mortgage the future by any stretch, but if there's the right guy to add, uh, I think he's open-minded to that but as far as philadelphia man everything we were told about them going into the first meeting came to fruition they're the hardest working team in the league that was the first thing andrew burnett told us Mm -hmm. we saw that uh they're the number one odd man rush team in the nhl and they get a ton of goals off of it and sure enough i think they had 13 against the predators in, in the first game so i know that's a big point of emphasis they play really fast and and as you know any, any John Tortorella team is going to block shots like crazy, and they blocked a ton oh, yeah. of shots against the Predators. The, the shot attempts were a little more e- even than the shots on goal, only because Philadelphia mm-hmm. blocked a ton. And, and we were impressed. Chris Mason, of course, my broadcast partner, he was watching Arison play uh, for the first time, and I, I think he's the numbers speak for themselves, but he did a really yeah. good job in that game. He he's been exceptional. Um, okay, let me let me close on this, Willie. I loved your idea of the uh, the too many men on the ice call. For those that may not have either read Elliot um, mentioning it in Thirty Two <laughs> Thoughts, or we talked about it on on the podcast. I love this. Share your share your idea for what to do with the too many men on the ice call. 
Well, we were we were in Seattle. This is where it sparked. Uh, Mace and I were doing the game, and Philip Grubauer uh, was in a position where uh, a Nashville player was attacking the net. He wasn't on a dead breakaway, but he was called for a trip. Mm-hmm. He just completely took a player out and and put the Predators on the power play. And of course, you see, you know, Dave Haxtell do what everybody does: choose a guy that's not going to figure into your penalty kill and put him in the box. Yeah. It just got me thinking, and then Mason and I talked about it after the game. You know, the goalie sort of got away with that, right? He he comes out ahead because, of course, mm-hmm. you get the, the penalty kill. So it just got me thinking, you know, why, why, why shouldn't the team that's going on the power play maybe have a little more say? And I wasn't thinking about what you guys discussed, you and Elliot, about sort of the dramatic thing. You know, it's kind of a fun thing that you would happen. What's, there's a decision-making process, and the crowd would be thinking, you know, who's going into the box? But I think it's just it would be a little small advantage to give the team going who's earned yeah. the power play to choose who who serves the penalty instead of you know the coach just taking the insignificant player or the guy that you want coming out of the box to go on offense after you totally. presumably kill the penalty. I first of all I love it for one main reason I love the idea of forcing decisions and forcing yes. a choice. Like, I, I'm the guy, I'm, I'm not sure whether you're going to, I'm not sure if you want to get on this island with me, Willie, but I love the idea in the opening round of the playoffs, the uh, the, the higher-seeded teams get to choose their opponents. Like, that's like that's yeah. how far now I'm willing to take forcing choices. Are you into that one? I, I don't know about that one. I, that, that was interesting. I'm trying to, I'm coming around <laughs> on that one a little bit. I'm not there yet, but I am into the, the if it's the, a bench minor or if it's a penalty on the goal. Yeah. Let's start with that because I do think it's it, it actually ends up, and I wasn't thinking at the time. I thought it was just a mini advantage, but also the drama part of it and decision-making, it, it'd be something you could talk about after the game. It would have the fans going, boy, they should have chose the face-off guy. They should have put him in the box, not the best defenseman or something like that. But it would be a really yep. interesting on each roster yep. to go down. But who would you put in there? Who would you put in the box? Okay, so let me, let me take it one step further then. Who makes the announcement? Like, do you, do, you, do you tell the official who you're doing it, and then does the official make the announcement to the crowd, and then that player comes off the bench? How would you do it? Because I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking of the theatrics of the whole thing. Yeah, the theatrics, mm-hmm. I think the ref should come on and say, Nashville has chosen that Alex Petrangelo will, will be serving the penalty. That would be great. The crowd would go wild, right? <laughs> or something like that. That could be great. I didn't think about that. Yeah. If you're, that, if, the, if you're in, if you're, if you're in if you're in Vegas, like fans will lose their minds. Like it's a great <laughs> yes. emotional swing or a great emotional way to get the crowd all riled up. I think it's like Willie. The more that I thought about it, after Elliot told me, he's like he called me. He's like, "Well, Willie's got a great idea." Um, the more that I thought about it, the more I thought like this is tremendous. Just a tremendous way to instantly inject either celebration or hatred into a moment. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's, oh, yeah. uh, honestly, really, I imagine? think it's a brilliant idea. I, I really like it. What about it. the analytics community, right? They would have analytics on each team. Here's who you should put in the box, right? And yep. the eye test people, the coach would say, no, you can't put him in the box. We got to put the other guy. So you, you would create discussion yep. that way. But just so you know, Jeff, I'm yep. milking this for as much as I can. I, I love the run. Everybody's telling me, you guys are talking about this. I was like, this is great. You guys need to be my agent or something. So I've, anything that makes me look smart, I'm milking it for all it's worth. No, dude. Like, listen. Uh, bring on the great ideas. Bring on, and even just as a as a as a topic. I mean, listen. You know, like how slowly this league moves when it comes to changing. <laughs> uh, when it comes to changing anything, so the more this can become part of the conversation, I think the better off all of hockey is for it. Uh, Willie, enjoy the game tonight. It is the Nashville Predators, uh, the team that uh, that you call the games for, facing off uh, against the Philadelphia Flyers. Thanks so much for stopping by. As always, look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, really enjoyed it, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Anytime. And keep those good ideas coming. Uh, there he is, the great <laughs> Willie Donick, play-by-play voice of the Nashville Predators. Uh, one of 12 games on the board tonight. Uh, it is Nashville facing off against Philadelphia. we got a busy night around the NHL. I'm uh, going to talk a little bit more about last night, about tonight, uh, with Matt Marchese in the next block. But let's bring him on for a little preview early. Matty, how you doing today, pal? I'm good, man. Uh, so the my favorite thing about Willie is that... He is. is he's a, a he's a Vanderbilt guy, so he's smart. So that's a that's a good start. Uh, played <laughs> basketball and baseball at Vanderbilt, and he was drafted by in the major in Major League Baseball. Jeff, who was he drafted by? I don't know. Uh, Atlanta Braves. 
the Toronto Blue Jays in 1993. Was he drafted by the Blue Jays? Yeah. I didn't know that. What what position? What position? Uh, he was a first baseman and an outfielder, I believe. I should really know my Willie Donick trivia better than that, shouldn't well, I? Well, I mean, we kind of found and my it. Jays trivia better than yeah. that, for that matter. <laughs> well, we thought David and I were talking, producer David Sis, and he's like, you know, I looked this. I was, I was, you know, I was googling Willie, and I see this, and he's like, he said he played basketball, I think, in college or whatever. I'm like, really? So then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google it too. So I'll Google it. Here we go. And it's like, oh, yeah. he also played baseball and was drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays, which is really cool. So that's um, incredible. Yeah, and then that's fantastic. And, and what's even more impressive was we were talking about it for him to go from being, you know, the athlete, whether it be in basketball or baseball, and then going into, you know, broadcasting is one thing to be an analyst, but to go from that to being a play-by-play guy is super impressive and to do it in a sport that as far as i know he didn't play growing up or anything playing baseball and basketball like that to me is very impressive i always like talking to people that just joined the game yeah i always like talking to people that are are new to the sport Uh, i like talking to people that still have a lot of questions because i think a lot of those questions sometimes um, can lead to uh, can lead to challenging our assumptions about the game. Like, I um, it was interesting. I was at uh, so I was at the Tool concert a couple of weeks ago. I am going to bring this to hockey. So I was at the Tool concert a couple of weeks ago, and I ran into which uh, Rich Clune okay. and his wife uh, Isabel. And uh, we we're talking about hockey, and you know she's a. a I'm not. I want to say she's a new fan, but a relatively new fan. Sure. And I'm always curious about someone who's just you know joined the game and watches the game and, and what they think. And you know she said something that you know, I think a lot of new fans or maybe even non fans of hockey say, and that is it's hard to see the puck. Mm-hmm. Like we just know, and it's again, it's the the assumption that we just know where the puck is because of body positioning. Like you look at all the players and where they're looking or how their bodies are positioned, and we get an idea of where the puck is. Now, you join the game long enough, your eyeballs are trained to follow that you know small, tiny black thing that's moving really quickly. But for either new fans or fans that are interested in the game or are curious about the game, it can be really, really hard. But the one thing I'll tell you what. Um, I can recall the one thing that really opened my eyes, and this is why I really hate the too many men on the ice call. Like it, it is, it is one of my pet peeve calls. Like, do you need to have it in the rule book? Yes. Uh, are they too stringent on it? I think yes as well. And it's because of one single conversation that I had, and it was with the play-by-play voice of the 1970s Birmingham Bulls. And I remember talking to him, and his name was Eli Gold. He mainly does uh, NASCAR and college football. Okay. But in Birmingham, which was a virgin hockey market, the Toronto Toros moved to Birmingham to become the Bulls. And so this was new market, new territory, curious what the fans are going to like. And so I asked Eli, this was on the radio back in like 2005 or 2006, I said, what, um, what did Birmingham hockey fans like the most about the sport. And I expected him to say, well, you know, it's a WHA, so it's like bench-clearing brawls and back-scratch and slap shots and 10-8 games and a lot of offense. And he said something that was so interesting to me, and I've always thought about it ever since. He said, I'll tell you what fans went crazy for. He said, players changing while the play was going on. (laughs) And I said, what? And he said, players changing while the play is going on. He said, think about it. That doesn't happen in other sports. No. Like in the big sports that we play here, like football, that doesn't happen. In baseball, that doesn't happen. In basketball, that doesn't happen. He said, you have something really special in hockey. And he said, listen, whenever there was like a wholesale line change, people lost their minds. Like, <laughs> what are they doing? Why are they leaving the ice? And then five more come back out and they're all in position. And he said, the crowd went crazy. Like, sure, they liked all the fights. And it was the 70s and the long hair and the cool logos. WHA was a rock and roll league. It was really cool. NHL was buttoned down. WHA was rock and roll. And uh, it really got me to thinking, like, there is something so special about changing on the fly that whenever I see the too many men on the ice call, I always say to myself, man, we shouldn't go out of our way to discourage something that is so unique about the sport that we always take for granted. Like I had never heard anyone say to me 
or bring up that point that this is one really unique thing that you have in your game. Because there have been people who have you know, suggested a number of the things about line changes before, maybe getting rid of the gate uh, or not allowing oh, yeah, line changes like at all. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a, it's a bad idea because you don't <laughs> want blades uh, in the ice. But, but, the, but then again, like to the, to the gate idea, I mean, we've seen when that gate is open and a player gets hit, like it that hurts. could be career ending. Yeah, it hurts. But then the opposite, if you, get, if you get rid of the gate, then everybody's jumping over the boards and do you want to have blades that high in the air? No. So take your pick. As long as you're going to have changes on the fly, you're going to have that. But it really got me to thinking, like, we take so much for granted from this game, whether it's how fast the puck moves and how hard it might be for a new fan to see the puck while the game is going on. And we tend to shrug them off. Oh, do you mean you can't see the puck? It's white ice and it's a black puck and how quick can it be moving? I can't believe you can't see it. Well, people can't. Like, it's really hard. Like, we just grew up. Like, Maddie, you're like me. Like, you grew up just watching hockey. So you can see, by the way, the players are looking or moving their bodies where the puck is and where the action is and where we should fix our gaze. Mm-hmm. But for newer fans, it's hard. I, and I've never forgot that about what Eli told me and, you know, what something as recently as Isabel told me two weeks ago at a Tool concert. It's hard to see the puck. Yeah, it's not It's not something that, honestly, I've ever thought about. I've been I've been skating and playing hockey since I was three years old. Like, I, it's true. And, and it's something, I guess, that we don't have an appreciation for because it's just second nature. It's it's much like, you know, ki- kids in the, in the United States that grow up with football and they understand how defenses work and they, they understand the little intricacies where someone yeah. who hasn't grown up with it, it's like, whoa, this is a giant game of chess and I don't understand. And hockey is, and the other thing is too, is hockey is a lot more, I don't want to say difficult to understand for a new fan, but in a sense it is because not only is there a lot going on, it's happening, especially right now at like a breakneck pace. My, like my cousin went to, yeah. a, he went to, uh, he was in Vancouver and they went to the Canucks lightning game and they, he was sitting you know two rows from the ice and he's not a big hockey guy and he told me he's like i cannot believe how fast everything moves when you're that close and i said that's oh, yeah. that's what i'm trying to say like and imagine yep. doing it on you know a quarter inch of of steel on one foot on two feet like that's it's pretty crazy what these guys can do at those speeds but to understand the game and to have an appreciation for it i don't think that we yeah. do a lot of the time because it's just like we're just used to seeing this. This is this this is everyday life okay. for us. Let me take it one step further then. Sure. To that point about how fast it is and how big the bodies are and they move in concert and it's so chaotic, but really there's a lot of structure to mm-hmm. it. It's you know, it's a it's a controlled it's a controlled chaos. Now imagine calling it in real time. No, I now imagine I agree. making calls, penalties, I offsides, like all these types of things. Now imagine doing that suddenly. Yeah, when they happen, not when you get a chance to think about it and then decide what the call is. But no, make it right away. Mm-hmm. Make yeah. that call right away. I still maintain this is the hardest sport to call effectively. I I, I know don't. Everyone grouses about officials. Yeah, I know everyone grouses about officials. This is the hardest game to call. Still, now is there an argument for the eyes in the sky? Absolutely, there sure is. there is. But still, as you're asking people to call this thing in real time, as things are happening. It's one of the hardest games to officiate. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah, and, th- like, the only thing that I would say is close is being an umpire behind the plate in a baseball game. I think that that is super difficult yeah. because of not only the vantage point, but how hard these guys throw, yeah. right? So I, I think all-encompassing, being an NHL official is the hardest thing. I would say that being mm-hmm. an umpire behind the plate, calling balls and strikes, that's pretty close because of the speed that everything is happening like I listen I've stood I've stood in the batter's box and faced 92 and I watched it go I didn't even watch it go by me it just oh, went crazy by me. I know you yeah. just stand there and you're like well that was fun three straight pitches and you're out Matt yeah. so that's so I, I I understand that part of it and again it's that same conversation the officials as about uh, as it pertains to you know following the puck and for us it's like well that's a penalty it's second nature for us to just you know be the smartest people in the room because we've been watching it for so long and especially in that moment. But I understand when you're on the ice, you don't have the the benefit of, you know, taking a second to think about it. But it is, it's definitely difficult. And, you know, referees catch a lot of flack. Um, Some referees are bad. I will say that. But also speaking of officials, I do love your idea of having the official 
Like it's basically like a wrestling match where you're announcing the um the special guest tag partner for uh you know for the Undertaker <laughs> and coming down to the oh, ring yeah, yeah, from yeah. you know the second part of hell Kane. So so it's the referee who decides who comes off the bench to serve the penalty. Well, I so think, the one team decides, and they yeah. tell the referee. Referee goes to center ice and makes the announcement, and then that player slinks I, off. I love it. It's so the good. Box. It's so good. We need more hate in hockey. That would create a lot of hate. I absolutely love it. And if with you the get, fans, yeah, hundred percent. With the fans, it would. well, even the opposing yeah. coach is going to hate it too, because he's going to get mad at whoever took the bench minor, and then he's going to get mad at the other coach. For calling off, you know, yeah. like like Willie said, Alex Petrangelo and the other coach is like, for, come on, I love it. It's great. Who's responsible? Who's responsible for the bench minor? Yeah, yeah. Because it's not always the players, Maddie. Yeah. yeah. Who's the, who's the assistant coach? Can we send you to the? Yeah. No. I love it. All right. Uh, let's hit a break. Uh, come back. we got 12 games in the NHL universe coming up this evening. We had three last night, and we still have not had an Alex Ovechkin goal in 14. 14- games. We are all fixated on this, aren't we, Maddie? We've made so much about the Ovechkin chase. Uh, that 14 games without a goal, and to Elliot's point, there are some games where it doesn't look like there's a contribution there. It doesn't look like the uh, the old Ovechkin, where even if he wasn't scoring, you know, he was he was staining someone on the boards. That's not there. What's going on? Uh, more hockey talk. Matt Marchese sticks around. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Alongside Matt Marchese here for the final segment of uh, of the show. 12 games tonight. We already talked about the Buffalo Sabres and the Toronto Maple Leafs earlier. Also, the Oilers, uh, Maddie, look to end their losing streak here. How quickly things can evaporate uh, as they face off against the New Jersey Devils. So that means Connor McDavid facing off against Jack Hughes. Uh, your thoughts on the Oilers here? I mean, all of a sudden, they've sort of fallen back. This is... Uh, a team that, I don't know, five minutes ago, we were talking about being a scant one point away from the Arizona Coyotes for the second wild card spot. Now they've tumbled down to seventh um, uh, uh, seventh place. And looking above them, the Minnesota Wild, who are 7-3 and three in their last 10. The Seattle Kraken, who seem to be maybe starting to put things together again. The Flames have won a pair. And St. Louis is getting the new coach bump. Things not adding up very well for the Edmonton Oilers right now. No, and I think this was, I mean, the way they started, it feels like this was always going to be the case for them. This was never going to be an easy road back to the playoffs after the start that they had. I mean, you know, it's well documented how poorly they started. They fired Jay Woodcroft, and they started to get back into things, but it was was never going to be an easy ride back to the playoffs because of just how deep that hole was. And it's more... The, the three-game losing streak is obviously a lot more resounding when you have to keep digging yourself out of that hole. If they were, you know, first in, like, for example, if they had, what do they have, 27 points, if they had 40 points, a three-game losing streak would be like, okay, it's fine. But when you have 27, yeah. a three-game losing streak is a big deal when we are nearing the Christmas break here. And, and so... I think I still think they're going to get to the playoffs, Jeff. I, I just I find it really hard to believe that Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl on the same team are not going to get into the playoffs. But I do know that it is yeah. still an uphill battle. I still have faith. I'm saying it today. I already told you earlier that Connor McDavid was going to win the scoring title. The Edmonton Oilers. It's yeah. December the 21st. They are uh, what nine points out of the first wild card spot. Seven, seven out of seven. the seven out of the second wild seven card spots. And well, out of the first wild card spot, yeah, yeah there's there's seven out of the out of the out of the out second of the playoffs. Wild card yeah, spot. the Edmonton Oilers will make the playoffs. But here's the thing: like, here's how quickly it can all evaporate. You know, um, 
it was, I think it might have been like at this time last week, we, we sat here and said, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, they're chasing the Arizona Coyotes. They're one point away. Break out the They Oilers. lose three games, <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's seven back. Yeah. Like, just like that. Like, there's, they're, like, they are walking the thinnest margin, the thinnest line here. Like Edmonton cannot have they they they, they can't they, they they can't lose three games in a row, man. Yeah, no. They, like if they're gonna make the play, they cannot do this. Like they need to start turning it around right now. Three game max. Really, you can only afford to lose back to back games, and that's it. After that, man, you really start to tumble out of it here. You can you can afford to lose three games in a row if the next game you start a seven game winning streak. <laughs> like I mean that, and that's the ty- I feel like this is the nature of this team right now. It kind of feels like, you remember how St. Louis started last year where they were like 0-4 and then it's, oh, we won six in a row. Then we lost three in a row. Then we won five in a row. I feel like that's kind of what the Oilers season is going to be the rest of the way. And that's why I, they're a team that is absolutely capable of going Then they're not going to make it in. Well, they can if they have a seven game winning streak over three game losing streak. (laughs) I know I'm asking a lot here. But but if you... but if you're going to have a bunny hop for the rest of the season, then there's no way the Edmonton Oilers make it in. Because they honestly, they cannot go on three or four game losing streaks yeah, consistently. It's, it's hard. I st- there's I, no chance. Like, there's there's no there's no way. Like, look at the teams above them that are playing better. Nashville's better than we thought. Arizona's still hanging in there. I don't know how long Arizona's going to hang in. I don't know how long St. Louis is going to hang in. And we'll see about the Calgary Flames. Seattle seems to have started to at least turn things around a little bit minnesota but i can see all those teams a lot falling better. off too that's that's the thing is i look at all those teams and i say they all have their warts i think all of them have the yeah. potential to fall off which is why i think that the oilers still have a shot here who's in net though well that's can a, you get there that's with a great skinner that's a great question jeff i've been asking that of the oilers for like, like four years right now. Who is in net? And they still haven't solved that problem, yeah. which is, again, and like we talked about, I, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but it's like all these goalies are going down, and it's like all these goalies that were available, well, guess what? Now everybody needs them. So good luck trying to trade for one. So yeah. I, I think that's the difficult part yeah. here. And at what point, if you're the Oilers, Jeff, do you start looking at going the other way instead of adding, you look at subtracting? I don't know who they would think of subtracting, but at some point, you are going to make that decision. Maybe it's mid-January because you're like, well, we're still nine points out and the odds of us getting in are, well, not great. Mm. Do they start looking in the other direction here? And I don't know who those players are, and I'm not going to begin to guess, but it will be part of a conversation when it comes to this team because Ken Holland's not the GM next year. Uh, no, he's not. But the problem with that is you're Leon Dreisaitl, and after this year, you have one more year, and you're eligible for an extension on July 1st. Otherwise, you become an unrestricted free agent. And if he doesn't sign a contract on July 1st, what happens in that market? Oh, chaos. But then, I mean... This is a crucial year. I, I don't this disagree. This is enormous for them. I don't disagree. And now, if things go... If they continue to go south here... At what point do we start hearing the conversations about Leon saying, well, maybe I don't want to be here oh, for that final year of my contract. And that you want to see you want to see a riot? You want to see fire in the streets, Jeff? Guess what? <laughs> You'll see that oh, in Edmonton in the middle of winter. Okay. Uh so now that we've gone to the total end of that logic which, we, which I love. Um, the Edmonton Oilers face off against the New Jersey Devils tonight <laughs> that one at 7.30 Eastern uh, 6 starts at 7 o'clock Eastern My tonight f- oh, yay. Maddie are you are you one of the people that grouse about that like I understand okay, first of all I'm of a couple of minds here because one this is still very much a butts in the seats business that's where the NHL makes most of their revenue um, there's no NFL style TV deal that will dictate everything, mm-hmm. namely your schedule and your start times. This is still a turnstile business. This is still your tickets. That's where they're making their revenue. So I understand, um, you know, teams like the Sabres and the Blue Jackets and the Panthers, Flyers, Penguins, Tampa Bay tonight all saying, no, it's a seven o'clock start for us. Thanks very much. That's what works for us, and I don't care whether the Panthers are starting at the same time and the Swords and the Jackets, etc., and the Flyers. Uh, this is going to be our start time. So I, I do get that. But from the, from the, when you take the macro view of all of it, I say to myself, if we want to encourage 
as many people as we can to sample as many games and as many teams as we can and that that they want, we need to stagger start times here. Mm -hmm. So not everybody's going to break all at the same time. So I'm of a couple of minds of it. Like I understand the the short term, just, you know, just get the money in the turnstiles here quickly. But then the big picture is, you know, the Stanley Cup rolls around and the two markets that are in the Stanley Cup, those numbers do very well. But outside of that, there's not a ton of interest. And the one way to get more interest in whatever's going to end up your Stanley Cup final is to have more people in Philadelphia knowing about the New Jersey Devils or the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Boston Bruins uh, or the, you know, insert Team X here. Which way do you lean? I say that uh, you have six games starting at 7 o'clock tonight. I'm pretty sure that you could say, well, three of them can start at 7.15. I don't, I don't need 7.05, 7.10, 7.15. I don't need that. Give me, give me a 15-minute interval here where I can catch the majority of one period and then a majority of another. And I can I can t- tailor my viewing habits to that. Also, yeah. and we know ESPN did it earlier this year, that kind of NFL red zone type show that they did with uh, yep. John Bucci-Gross. I think that should be a staple, if I'm being honest. I, I, think that's, I think that's really good. It works really well for the NFL. And obviously you're not doing it when there's three games on. But when you, you know, for the NFL... Yeah. Sundays are busy. There's, you know, the one o'clock slate is seven, eight games, and and you can make it work. You can go mm-hmm. to power plays. You can go to, um, you know, um, uh, like lots of zone time for one team. Like you can adjust and and really make it work. And I think that it's very doable. I think that's something that would be very beneficial for a lot of casual fans as well, Jeff, because. A lot of people, mm-hmm. the, the attention span for a lot of people in today's age, especially younger people, and I'm not being disparaging, it's the truth. Um, we live in that microwave type mentality, right? Where it's like 15 seconds, boom, my food is hot, out of the out of the microwave, off we go. And that's the attention span when it comes to sports sometimes too, if you are a casual fan. Your mm-hmm. team, you're going to sit there and watch a whole game. But if I'm interested in watching a certain player, let's say I'm interested in watching um, Sidney Crosby, uh, Pittsburgh's playing Carolina tonight. And I'm trying to flip-flop between that and the yep. Leafs. It's very difficult if they're playing at the same time. But if I have something where I can check in with that game or I can, you know, my, my viewing habits can change with these staggered times or having something, if they're not going to stagger it, have that red zone or whatever we want to call it uh, type channel or whatever. So the NHL network has done this for a number of years. I'm not disparaging ESPN. They put their own spin and their own um, and their own flair on it. But NHL network has done this uh, on Twitter. We used to do ice surfing. Yeah, I remember I'll, that. I'll, I'll let you know how we used to do that. So it was it was me and Jason York and Stander Rodka and Steve Dangle and Kaylee Sibley um, handling social. Um, and the way that we would do it is we never we never said that we were going to anything live. But when something happened, we would throw to it. That way you knew that within, I don't know, 20 or 30 seconds of us throwing to, you know, Montreal and Minnesota, you were going to get a goal or a big hit or a scrap or something. It wasn't just going to be, you know, uh, empty calorie, 30 seconds of uh, turning the puck over in the neutral zone. It wasn't going to be that. You were going to get something. And so there'd be like, uh, for example, tonight, Vancouver and Dallas are playing. Oh, that's a good um, one. Elias Pedersen scores a goal, right? So you would say, okay, we got a Pedersen goal in Vancouver. So you back up the you'd back up the recording thirty seconds before or forty five seconds before Pedersen scores, and you throw to it. Um, never saying that it's live, so you're not deceiving the audience, like you're actually watching it as it's happening. But you say, let's just let's go now to Vancouver and Dallas. Mm-hmm. We're all tied up at once, and then you have so that way you know that every game that you're going to, you're going to get something you're going to get some event maybe you're just going to get a glorious save Mm -hmm. who knows or a controversial play or something weird that you've never seen before like i really like the idea i i I love it i loved that that espn picked up the idea this year and i think they're going to do it later on uh, later on the season as well so i think you're going to get that one more time but for big nights like this is like this is an nhl universe where a lot of games on tuesdays a lot of games on thursdays a lot of games on saturdays that you really might want to think about having a show like this, even just to do it online, right? This doesn't have to be a Sportsnet, ESPN, TNT, whatever, uh, the national rights holders. This could be just living online. 
where the majority of younger viewers are anyway. And that's a chance to get to sample all these different teams. So if you're a Minnesota fan, like, hmm, what do I know about the New Jersey Devils? I might want to watch some of this Oilers-Devils game. That's the way to do it. Or you can hate watch like we do so often, Jeff. <laughs> how many people are hate watching Buffalo tonight? Oh, lot. Or how many people are watching just for the train wreck factor tonight? Like if it gets really bad. Like I keep thinking, like what if the Maple Leafs go up 3 nothing quick? Yeah. They'll still now, be a, they'll still the be a cynical lot of, side of me say, this I was going to say the cynical side of me says, well, it's going to feel like a Maple Leafs home game anyway because yeah. so many Maple Leafs fans go to Buffalo to watch the games. And then as someone texted me the other day, uh, don't be surprised if a lot of Buffalo Sabres fans after that Columbus game are pretty quick to sell their tickets uh, for the Maple Leafs game on Thursday because it's not as if this team is hot. Yeah, Jeff. Any stretch of the imagination. So maybe no one will go because that will be all Maple Leafs fans in the stands. Yeah, Jeff, you know who's going to be hate-watching the Sabres tonight? Sabres fans are going to be hate-watching the Sabres. <laughs> like that's almost a guarantee. Oh, it's bad when you hate hate, hate watching. Listen, your own team. I, you, you know, know what that 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 really does wink at one thing here. You know what's worse than fans not showing up for a game? Apathy. Like not nothing, buying tickets for a game. There's nothing worse than there's, apathy. There's, there's one thing worse. There's there's one thing worse than not going to buy a ticket, and that is buying a ticket and, and not going. Not to go. Yeah, that is. Um, that's that's death. What do we like to say that's on this show, one, Jeff? It's one thing not. That is What's no that? Bu- no bueno. <laughs> yeah, it is no bueno. Uh, okay, so you mentioned Buffalo and, uh, and and Toronto earlier on, and that's where you had your eyeballs on. Mm-hmm. Listen, tonight we're going to see Washington again. It's a big win for them last night against the uh, New York Islanders. We'll also see the Pittsburgh Penguins facing off against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, where are you at on the Penguins right now? I know we got like 60 seconds left here in the show, and it's a bigger topic than that. But, you know, the Penguins rolled through Toronto last Saturday and got waxed. Now they bounce back the next game. But there's a lot riding on this Penguin season for a lot of people, Maddie. Yeah. Like, like 15 I, seconds. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I ha- Let me put it to you this way. I have less faith in the Pittsburgh Penguins making the playoffs than I do the Edmonton Oilers. It's just an aging roster. They, it's hard to trade out of the issues that they're in. Now, they do have a real, like Tristan Jari's played really well. Alex and Delkovich has played really well. But the inconsistencies yeah. with it just, there's just not enough there with the aging roster. For me, um, I'm out on the okay. Pittsburgh Penguins. Can I propose a chaos trade? Oh, boy. Yes, please. That I know, that I know will never happen, but oh, would it ever be juicy? Go for it. Malkin to the Penguins to help Ovechkin get the record. So the cap, no. Replace Backstrom. I like it. I like it. I'm in. (laughs) All right. On that goofiness, we'll wrap it up. Merrick Show returns tomorrow after the Slate of 12 tonight. Enjoy.